Welcome back to The Deeper Cut, a podcast ministry of Mercy Hill Presbyterian Church. I am Tim Pasek. I'm a ruling elder at Mercy Hill, and I'm joined, as always, by our pastor and my fellow elder, Phil Henry. Phil, how are you doing today? Fantastic, Tim. Excellent. Glad to hear that. Um, we have a special edition of the, of the Deeper Cut this week. Not that we have anything particularly special to talk about, um, more than any other week, but this is our first recording where we are uh, not in studio together. In fact, we're not even in the same town or state um, right now. I'm vacationing with my family down in Florida for the week, um, but we just have too much good stuff to talk about to to delay or skip a week of the, of the deeper cut. So hopefully the technology holds up its end of the bargain and... Um, Everyone can hear us clearly, and I don't get too much background noise here. I'm sitting outside, um, but I'm glad that we have these means to be able to meet Phil today. It is it is amazing, and uh, hats off to you and the other crew members at Mercy Hill that have. I mean, the the, the we're not going to get sidetracked by COVID commentary, but it did force us to kind of mm-hmm. join the modern age of, of streaming and all these other things. And, and this is a little side benefit of, of that. And I know you're, you're sort of geeked out all the time anyway, <laughs> Tim, but uh, I do enjoy it to some extent. Yeah. It's fun when you can take your passions and, and leverage them for the kingdom of God. So thanks yeah. for your, your work and the other guys that have, given us the skill set, kind of an experience base that we're able to use today. Sure, totally. I, I, I do like to brag about our church in that when COVID happened and we went to a live stream, we got that set up in less than a week and it cost us about $20 to do it. Um, we've made some upgrades and some capital expenditures since then to, to make things a little bit nicer and um, for those who can't attend uh, in person on Sunday mornings for a given week, but um, yeah, I was pretty pretty proud of the whole team for coming together and figuring that out and doing it on a shoestring. Actually, we didn't have a budget; it was just figure out how to make figure right. out how to make this happen. And our recording today is a is fruit of that. It's yes, it the is. same same technology. So, um, but anyway, we. Why don't we get into it? We have tons that, that we could say. We, I'm sure we will not get to it all, um, but a lot to talk about in regards to your sermon this past week, which was about Abraham's test, which is, you know, frankly, kind of mm-hmm. probably one of, what would you say, Phil, top five stories of the Old Testament that, that most people know? It's got to be. It's got to be kind of like the flood, Abraham and Isaac, Moses in the Red Sea, yeah. David and Goliath, we picked yeah. number five. It's definitely one of the one of the peaks in the in the in the, in the fourteeners. If I think there's fifty two fourteeners in Colorado, so I wonder what the fifty two fourteen thousand foot peaks in the old testament would be. Mm. But this mm. is definitely in the top ten. Maybe top five. Yeah, and and it did take place on a peak, so um, appropriate it did. in that regard. Uh, and I, legend I don't know if we slash to, go ahead. tradition slash some careful research points plausibly points to the fact that Mount Moriah might well have been the Temple Mount or Calvary Mountain itself. Hmm. A three-day journey from uh, Beersheba puts us in the vicinity of Jerusalem easily, plausibly. Right. And if we're in Jerusalem, which mountain would it be? It's going to be the Temple Mount or Calvary, one of the two. Yeah. So either either place uh, to, you know, we're jumping right in here with both feet, but <laughs> yeah, um, that's good. on the mountain of the Lord, future tense, the Hebrew is, it will be, it shall be provided. So not only did God provide, but Abraham prophesies there that it will be provided again. 
Hmm. How cool is that? That is real cool. Yeah, it's God's amazing in that way. It just, uh, you know, I, I mentioned that it's a kind of a probably a top five story in the Old Testament just because I would imagine most Christians or most people who have spent time in church in their life have heard of the story of Abraham and mm -hmm. Isaac. But that doesn't mean that even those of us who have, might have read the account multiple times would pick up on a lot of those details or nuances. Um, and there's a couple others that maybe we'll be able to get into today. Mm -hmm. um, you pointed out one. I don't want to talk about it in a second. We'll, we'll come back. But you did note in your sermon, and then you actually you pointed it out, and then you didn't come back to it. So I thought maybe we oh, could catch it today. But uh, Abraham more or less tells his servants to stay, we're going to go worship, and we will come back. Mm -hmm. And it was a... In the ESV, I don't think he uses we, but it's it's implied in the sentence, um, if I recall, that we are going to go and come back. I think it just says and, come, and return to you. Oh, okay, okay. But it's not and I'll return to you. Like, it's specifically, he didn't, he didn't change from a singular to a plural, or a plural to a singular, rather. Um, and the, the Hebrew or even the Septuagint might be different. It might be more explicit than just could be an ESV translation. But, um, yeah, some some even foreshadowing within the text there, uh, within the story itself, that I had not noticed before, but you, you had pointed that out, um, which I thought was helpful, especially in light of the faith that you were talking about that Abraham right. was right. showing and also how God was deepening that faith and calling Abraham to, to a, a, a stronger faith, if you will, uh, a more full, full faith in, in, uh, right. in God. So, right. um, yeah, we, we did kind of jump right in the deep end here. Um, so for, for those of you, this is my, my standard. If you haven't listened to the sermon, please hit pause and go check out the sermon and listen, give that a listen and come back. Um, text was Genesis 22. So this is, as we've been speaking of already, the, the account of Abraham um, going with Isaac up to Mount Moriah, and God tells Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. And then, um, ultimately, God provides a way out of that for Abraham, even though Abraham was going to go through faithfully with that command of God, um, and God provides a ram for Abraham to sacrifice in Isaac's stead, and then kind of the chapter ends with a kind of weird, um, not so weird, but kind of weird to us readers, uh, kind of geno genealogical account of Abraham's brother and his offspring when we learn about Rebecca for the first time. So I don't know if we'll have time to get into that today, but you did you did mention that in the more than mention that in the sermon. Yeah, I well, that was really helpful too gonna, to not just cut the story at the end yeah. there. It's going to be the topic of next next Sunday's message, so we'll we'll reserve Rebecca for next week or two Fair weeks enough. from now. Fair enough. So may, maybe Phil, we can. Um, I'll lob you a softball for the first one. Okay. How could God? How could God? After he had commanded, he basically had promised Abraham more than once. We've mentioned this last week that God, God gives his promise to Abraham. We counted at least a half a dozen times um, before this account that he was going to provide a son and that through his seed, his own son, um, namely Isaac, and he, he gives Abraham and Sarah the name Isaac to name their son, that he was going to, to bless them with a son, bless all the, the, uh, the nations of the earth through Abraham's seed, um, and, and bless him as well. And then here, God says, oh yeah, go ahead and, and sacrifice your son. So, one, why would God, is God all about sacrificing kids, number one? And I say that um, not sarcastically, but, you know, um, just because I think it's worth 
taking 60 seconds and talking about. And then, secondly, um, the apparent contradiction, or maybe not apparent, but kind of in our mind assumed contradiction here. So can we can we dispatch with those things first and foremost, and then we can move on to maybe some some deeper theological um, thoughts and conversation. Yes. So um, I I I didn't take the time to find it, but a, a favorite book of mine is this one, uh, Timothy Keller, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. He he does. Uh, he's sort of a master. Uh, he's deceased with the Lord now, I believe, but really a, a masterful job, a masterful a, a, a apologist when it comes to some of these quandaries. To, they're technically called theodicies, um, mm -hmm. which is a theodicy, and Ke Keller actually defines it, and I'm getting my definition from him. A theodicy is an explanation of... of an apparent contradiction in God. So I have typically understood a theodicy as a seeming contradiction in God for which requires an explanation. I think Keller labels the, the explanation itself as the theodicy, but in, in any event, how can a loving God require child sacrifice is, is kind of a, a classic um, Gordian knot, to use another term. You know, it's an impossible knot to untangle. Keller's cutting of the Gordian knot, I, I can't quote it for you, but one of, one of the ways that he frames it is this quote by Evelyn Underhill, which is at chapter 13 of this book. If God were small enough to be understood, he wouldn't be big enough to be worshipped. So something about the transcendence of God in the story that requires you, uh, I quoted Bono in my sermon, to start with blind faith, or something like, something akin to blind faith. Uh, right. Um, I like Bono's quote because it's just a modern reworking of Augustine's, or is it Anselm, faith, uh, fides quire intellectum, faith-seeking understanding, not the other way around. It isn't, mm. you can't start with understanding Give me a comprehensible God, and then I'll believe in him. Faith, following understanding. Faith has to be uh, the impetus, literally. It's that impulse momentum that gets the cart rolling. And then the understanding kind of is the, uh, the cart that follows the horse. So, mm. But the, the other aspect of this theodicy is that... Um, Scripture is an organic unity, and the characters and events that happen in the Bible are not random, but they're part of an overarching story that we're not permitted to read it in isolation and demand that it make sense in isolation. So there's no reading the Isaac story without reading about Jesus, and uh, without meaning to be derogatory towards other religions, Jewish commentaries, the rabbinical commentaries on, on this passage, and I get this insight from one of our young uh, pastors in training in the church, um, Josh, pointed out that the, comment, the, the rabbinical commentaries on this text are just, they just go round and round about, you know, what this means, and it's, it's, um, it's just pure allegory, sheer moralism, or, I mean, it's just, it's a dead-end street no matter where you turn. But, boy, if, if Isaac is, is a prototype of an archetypal Isaac who is to come, and if Abraham is a prototype of, of God's ideal believer, then we, we have some, we have a massive reframing of how could God, how could God uh, possibly require child sacrifice to the fact that actually he didn't? Uh, he was trying to teach us a lesson right. about the sacrifice that, A, how serious sin is, and B, how far, to what lengths he was willing to go. 
to solve the problem of human sin that began in the garden. Right. Um, yeah. I guess a thought that has, or a question that, that always comes in, in my mind is um, we don't know the answer to this, so I'm not into speculating about it per se, but is it at all possible that God had planned the whole time to stop Abraham from sacrificing Isaac? Meaning, you know, he, he did do that. He provided a, a, a different sacrifice in the ram, but could that have been God's intention, even though he had not made Abraham aware of that? So, you know... Um, yeah, we know that that was God's intention because it's what happened. Well, and what happened was not a violation of God's norms. So, but even even when what happens is sin, we know that at, at the very least, it, what goes under the banner of God's intention is His permission rather than His design. You know, we we uh, speaking of theodicy, that's that's the problem of evil in a nutshell. We differentiate between God's permitting evil and God's purposing evil. Right. Right. Well, we could spend the next hour talking about this specifically. Yes. Yeah, we uh, could. And that would be useful out, you know, way to spend an hour. Uh, but there are other things that I think would be as much, if not more, beneficial to our listeners and the members of our church to talk about that you brought up um, you said a high level on, on Sunday in your sermon and uh, you know th this might be uh, you know we need a deepest cut to get into the get into that one some more potentially so if anyone out there wants to start up the deepest cut with Phil um, let, let us know, let us know. <laughs> um, but maybe maybe Phil because you, you spent a lot of time on Sunday in your sermon uh, on the narrative itself, you spent half of the half of your time just kind of re retelling the narrative in in technicolor, if you will, you know, with with a, help everyone understand what was going on. Um, I think that was extremely worthwhile. Maybe you could make mention of why you did that, but that does mean that we didn't get into a lot of theological depth around the text per se, which um, wasn't necessary for that for that sermon. Uh, that's you know that's what this podcast is all about. But maybe we could kind of go down that path a little bit today in the next sure. 10 or 15 minutes. So um, the the pastoral decision to spend so much time on the narrative was. Uh, kind of, th there are a number of reasons there, and I think it it's helpful to hear that I felt overwhelmed by this passage. I just did, and um, there's also the I think the sixth or seventh sermon in a row that I preached, and so I overwhelmed think, like too much, Phil. Sorry to cut you off, but too much stuff, or you know. Um, what, what do you mean by overwhelmed, I guess? So, overwhelmed, um, th this, is, this is definitely one of the top ten stories in, in the whole Bible. And I often feel like I'm standing on the shores of a giant ocean with a teaspoon mm. in my hand. You know, I've used that analogy before, maybe even in this podcast. But, yep. um, boy, this, this one just... And I've never preached it before. And one of the reasons is because it is such a demanding passage. And by that I mean content-wise, it raises very difficult questions that uh, if, if you've got a pulse and you're a preacher, you, you'd be lying if you said, I'm not intimidated by preaching this text. So overwhelmed in the sense of feeling I'm not up to the task. But... Uh, just philosophically, intellectually overwhelmed because I'm about to dive headfirst into 
a passage because it's one of the great narratives of the Bible that has been preached for generations by men far abler than I. And I've got one one swing at this. This fastball is going to come at me, and I, you know, I, I just need to make contact. You know, I don't even. I mean, yeah, nice up on the bat. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, but then, you know, preaching isn't just about your your style and skill. It's about being. You know, somewhere last week, I decided that if all I did was uh, climb Mount Moriah and lay down one of my Isaacs, then I didn't need to walk in there with anything but a shirt, you know, my belt on, my shoes tied, and just start opening my mouth. Because Mm. what God needs most from me is that I'm walking in the steps of Abraham's faith not that I have some sort of great thing to offer. So overwhelmed in, in the personal sense, and in, in, the, in the theological sense, philosophical sense, I think I was tired. Like I said, I'd preached six or seven weeks in a row, and this is the fourth sermon in a row in the patriarchs. And I'm, uh, it's, it's taken a lot out of me, just physically. So I think I felt a little slow. I think even my pacing was a little slow. Just and so I think the narrative gave me a way of of humbly, kind of almost somewhat slowly stepping in to the arena and not, you know, um, it wasn't a. I didn't feel like it was a flashy sermon. It maybe wasn't my best sermon in terms of the craft or delivery. Uh, it was hard. It was a hard message to preach. And on a, on a lot of levels. And if, if someone who's listening to this who does preach Sunday by Sunday or twice, twice, a, twice a day on the Lord's Day, you know that, that you have those texts and those times where preaching is harder than others. And, and if you're studying for the ministry and you don't know that, then, then you need to learn it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, even as, even as a hearer on Sunday... Um, and I'm sure our listeners who are part of our church would agree with me in this. There, there are some sermons that are harder to hear. And, and I don't mean like harder to understand per se, just they hit home a lot harder. They, they you know, God, the Holy Spirit does something in, in your preaching or whoever's preaching on a particular Sunday to pull at your heart personally as a hearer. Um, so... Uh, all the more for you preaching, obviously, but but I think we can relate to that to at least a small extent. Yeah, um, yeah. So you come to church and there's a lot going on in your life, and it goes in one ear and out the other. You're not the hearer that you should be that Sunday, and mm-hmm. likewise, um, and when the preacher isn't the preacher that he should be that Sunday, it's a bad combination. It's like a, you know, double negative. Um, but. Uh, Hence, it's important that everybody do our best to come to the Lord's Day service as prepared as we can be. But we, we trust God's grace to make up for my um, my fault and failures and my human limitations. As and I was praying well, for the church, to that your uh, your very poor preparation and inadequate. You're only halfway there. You know, you got one. One half of your heart is on a broken relationship or a crisis at work or whatever. Parenting challenge. Right. So, but the other, the other thing, and, and off, of, off of me for a second, this story is worth dwelling on. And because it's misunderstood and it, there's, a, there's a veil of mystery around it, I just, I had fun with retelling the story because... It's worth lingering and, and lo- looking around, yeah. and not rushing through it. I think people that may have been the best part of the sermon for for folks, just because some people have again have misunderstood this passage or even been afraid of it. I mean, it's it's upsetting to read about. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, you know, for me personally. Um, Genesis 22 is probably 
somewhere between two to three weeks into a Bible reading plan yearly, mm-hmm. you know, and at that point, you're just starting to get a little bit tired of, of hmm. hold, holding on for dear life to your Bible reading. Like, come on, I at least have to make it through Genesis. I got to make it the first yeah. month. And you read it, but you, and you read it, but you're not thinking, I, I use Technicolor because um, I, I love when you go back and you retell a story, and I know that's a preaching paradigm that, that you taught me um, in the few times that I've had the chance to preach from the Mercy Hill pulpit. And um, it's so helpful to, to linger on it and to think about it because there are, there are details and nuances that you just don't think about, or at least I don't, you know, and I imagine I'm probably, you know, more or less the average Joe at church. You know, I, I've read the story. I know Abraham, Isaac, you know, I, I know the New Testament references. Um, I'm not ignorant to it, but, you know, sitting there and thinking about, and I think thought about it a couple times even this week, um, you know, this, this man and his son who, you know, you pointed out his son was not a child, you know, most likely at this point, they had a three plus day journey and, and, and Abraham, like, I can't imagine that on my mind for three days. I know. For th- like, that's all you did for three is like, where, you know, I got to get there and I got to do this. I got to get there and I got to do this. How can I do this? How, how can this be? Um, and, and I think for me, just trying to put myself in Abraham's shoes, I don't know how I wouldn't chicken out, number one. And, and your first point, Phil, I just thought was so helpful that, you know, what, what do we take from this story? What can we learn? Abraham needed a deeper faith. Amen. I don't think he used the word needed, but his, his faith was deepened. He, he did need us. Yeah, I think I did. And, and we need it. Yeah. We definitely I, do. I just, I don't want to put words in your mouth and I no, can't it's remember okay. your but, exact point. But I, I think the Bible doesn't say he needed deeper faith, but that was a, an inference that I drew from the passage based on the first line, which is God tested Abraham. Yeah. So when I put together the, the scriptures teaching on testing, it's so that the testing of your faith, you might develop perseverance. So, um, I, I thought of, um, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, and then that mustard seed grows, um, and and it becomes this enormous tree, you know, and so your faith might be that big, you know, I'm holding up my fingers, itty bitty right now, but it can't stay that way. Um, you know, it has to grow. I think one of the things you said was, you know, your faith, today is not enough for your life tomorrow. You know, your, your faith needs to continue to deepen. Um, so I guess my question with that, Phil, because I, I took that as a personal challenge. And, and, yeah. and I really thought about that and prayed a lot about that this weekend. And I've been encouraged, not just like, oh, no, woe is me. But, yeah, you know, I, I'm a friend of God, you know, because of Christ. I'm a son of Abraham through faith, but how do we balance that out? And maybe this is where we can get into the theology just a little bit, but how do we balance that out with like faith versus works? Because even faith is a, could be misconstrued as a work to some degree. Mm -hmm. So where does that, how does that feel with Abraham, maybe specifically in this text? Because what he did was a a work, you know, he, he obeyed what, God told him to do. He traveled three days. He brought his son. He brought servants. He went up. He was going to sacrifice. He did make a sacrifice. That wasn't like God washing things under a rug because Abraham had faith. You know, he, he did he did have to do what God told him to do. Right? Yeah. So I feel like I'm starting to talk in circles now. So, um, Well, 
So, uh, it, I did not get into the debate of justification by works, but this event in James chapter two is is referenced. It, it's it's amazing. Well, first of all, um, to help us be better better readers of our Bible. This event is mentioned three times, explicitly three times in the New Testament, and it's alluded to at least one other place. So Romans 4, Hebrews 11, James chapter 2 all reference the sacrifice of Isaac. Right. And then it's alluded to in Romans 8, 31 and 32, he who surrendered his son for us, how will he then not freely give us all things? I think that's a that's a an allusion to the sacrifice of Isaac. I know that's a favorite verse of yours, Tim. So I thought I'd yeah. throw that in there as a as a little. Uh, yeah, throw I include that in my pastoral prayer quite often. Yeah. Um, so next time you pray that, think of Genesis twenty two as a as kind of the the well from which that sentiment in Romans eight thirty two is is drawn. Yeah. So we, we need to be better readers of our Bible when we read Genesis 22. We need to think about Romans 4, Hebrews 11, Romans 8, James chapter 2. And in James, when it's mentioned, it says that Abraham was justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac. So um, I preached on James 2 and... Part of the reason I preached on it is because, um, you know, I don't think James was was a kind of a crypto Roman Catholic. I don't think James sort of dropped the ball there and, and his pen slipped. But our understanding of justification sometimes lets us off the hook for persevering in um, high quality, top shelf sacrificial acts of worshipful obedience and we put our our religion on autopilot we check the box we show up to to church or whatever your box is that that you've settled on kind of this easy maybe an easy believism and meanwhile god has said um god test abraham he, he's testing us and so you know we we uh, we respond to trouble when it comes into our lives as if some something crazy is happening to us to uh, allude to Peter's way of putting it it's not it's not crazy it's God loves you and he's disciplining you training you testing you and preparing you for something else so, you know Abraham himself was used as a model for all time we're not going to do that but God wants to use you Tim as a model for your wife and children and for the church you serve as an elder, and for me, I'm an older brother in Christ, but I need to see you surrendering your rights and your plan for uh, passing on the faith. Can I put it that way? You know, how's the story going to go forward in my family? Right. Well, you have a, a son, you have a daughter, um, two, two daughters, am I right? Two sons. Two sons, forgive me. So two sons and a daughter, we've got this, man. We know how the faith is going forward. Um, but there was a season in your life where you and you and your wife were, were kind of really struggling with, well, how, how are we going to pass on the faith? We're married. You know, where are the children, God? And then there may be a season in the future where there's an Isaac-like moment that you are, are you know, staring face to face with the enemy himself who's threatening yeah. to destroy everything you've worked hard to create. So um, bring it on. You know, I'm not, I'm not praying for, for testing, but I'm prepared for testing. There's a difference. Yeah. Yeah, we don't, we, we, we don't get sa saved and then coast, I guess, into heaven. Right. Right. The Bible, the Bible, talks about that all the time. There's a lot of different analogies that, you know, Paul uses in the race analogy quite often. Um, 
that immediately comes to mind, but kind of what you're saying or what I'm hearing you're saying is, um, yes, it's by faith, but faith apart from works is is dead. Right. So when I said Abraham responds with godly obedience, I said it's without, without debate, without delay, without a doubt, and with worship. And yeah, that's that's where we got shortchanged because I had a whole section that just got hmm. kind of compacted there. about without negotiation. Yeah, I mean so that's debate, kind of. Yeah, I mean, so I retold the story in the in the technicolor way to use your phrase, and then I just had to state that and, and literally just move on. But um, there is not enough of that kind of fourfold obedience. In my life, absolutely. Probably in your life, and certainly in our church. Yeah. yeah. You know, hey, we're we're a good, godly, reformed evangelical congregation. Good standing, PCA, right doctrine. We're we're a church plant, man. Isn't this thing cool that we got here? And the answer is, there's not enough obedience without debate in our church, mm. and without delay. And I think a lot of us, starting with myself, are kind of mailing it in some Sundays and Saturdays and Fridays and Thursdays and shining it on and uh, kind of, uh, you know, polishing a, a you-know-what and saying, yeah. hey, isn't this a nice offering? And Abraham yeah. gave his, his A1 best offering, and he did yeah. it well. He really did. Yeah. Um, one of our fellow elders just had an experience, personal experience, where, you know, there was a, an issue at at the house that was going to be uh, a sum of money to resolve, and that was adding some stress, both with the issue and then, obviously, the, the budgeting around resolving that issue, and, um, you know, it turns out the gentleman um, who came to resolve the issue was really struggling in his life. Yeah, and, and you know our our brother, um, he he obeyed, in in loving that man, and representing Christ well and sharing Jesus with him, and uh, I'm just thinking like this is a real life example that, you know, I got to experience secondhand just this week, in fact, just today, of what we're talking about. That's right. You know, so, and th that happens in all of our lives, probably all the time, maybe not to that extent where there's a, there's a minor emergency or a major emergency, but certainly I turn a <laughs> consciously often, subconsciously probably even more often turn a blind eye to what God is calling me to do, mm -hmm. surrendering my own will to his, um, and taking steps of faith and trusting that he's going to do um, good things for me. So Yeah, so uh, in our pre-show conversation, Tim, I called this surrender theology, partly because I haven't heard anybody use that language, but, you know, as a title of the thing, but it's all through the, the sermons that that men preach on this and it's a word that's used repeatedly uh it's also the title of bono's book about the history of u2 that i quoted from and i'm reading that book and so it's kind of the word is on my mind right um but it's also a little wesleyan it's a little arminian it's a little charismatic you know just surrender uh yeah i surrender all yeah all to Jesus, all nice. to Jesus. I surrender. I surrender. Yeah, and and you know, no turning back. No, the world behind me. The cross. It's like revivalist. It's like I'm going <laughs> to dedicate my life. I'm going to lay down the smokes and yep, and uh, lay down the bottle, and I'm going to walk towards the cross. The cross before me. No turning back. No turning back. Uh, I'm going to get rebaptized, and you know. In the Reformed world, we we spend a, way too much time making fun of this stuff. Um, there's 
there's a, a place for some good-natured fraternal ribbing for Arminian brothers that they just don't get it, you know? So I'll, I'll grant you that. But we can also learn from some of this intensity and, and stop being so smug in preaching grace, 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 and, and saying, I, you know, draw, I prayed it today, you know, draw a straight line with a crooked stick, and I'm nothing but a sinner, and a sinner saved by grace, and Brent, bent, broken, healed, redeemed, you know, clay pot theology and all these other things. Well, surrender yep. theology challenges that with, with an intensity and a summons to a sacrificial lifestyle or a surrendered life that our kind of sanctification by grace teaching sometimes will knock the sharp edges off of that. And um, I don't subscribe to wanting to beat people up from the pulpit, you know. Well, you really socked it to me today, Pastor. But um, th the Bible does its job well enough. I don't need to kind of add a, a turbo charge to a, a, a hard-charging text like Genesis 22. I just need to let it breathe like a good wine. You know, you can't that thing. Let it open up. And all of its flavors will come out. And there's plenty of grace here that softens the blow. But it softens it in a Holy Spirit-designed way and, and not in, in me not wanting to... Me wanting to ensure that you don't feel bad or that you... Me wanting to ensure that you're not going to accuse me of being a Wesleyan, kind of a crypto um, charismatic here. So uh, my mentor... I'll, and I'll end with this. You can interact with my mentor's dad, Joe Bailey, uh, has a great essay that is kind of famous in my small circle. But the essay is critiquing a certain kind of redemptive historical approach to the Bible where every passage becomes John 3.16. Yeah. And um, let Genesis 20, if God wanted 66 books filled with verses that were just saying John 3.16, he would have given it to us. And I've read Luke 24, and I know that beginning with Moses and the prophets, Jesus explains how all scriptures testify of him. But they do it in a way that's not predictable and not boring and not easy. And so um, there, there is a challenge here to a surrendered life that the suburban American church, Mercy Hill being one instance of that, we need to hear it. Yeah, there, there's. I appreciate that about about your preaching, Phil. That you know, the the rough edges. Well, that sounds derogatory to the Bible. I don't mean it that way. But the the hard things in the Bible are not like sanded smooth or glossed over. Um, you know. We're 22 chapters into Genesis here, and, and uh, this is a conversation about Abraham and Isaac. But the first family, there was a, a murderer <laughs> who was excommunicated. Yeah. God flooded and destroyed all of creation, save for one family and, and the animals. Like, th this isn't the first instance, is what I'm saying, even within God's story, that is hard. You know, if right. we're really being honest, it's hard. Right. It's, it's, it's not like, you know, all, pun intended here, it's not all rainbows, you know. Mm -hmm. So, and that that's good. I think we need to wrestle with that more, you know. And, and you know, you mentioned the phrase once already, um, and we talked a, a little bit about it before we started recording today, but, you know, to, to lay down your Isaac. Mm -hmm. um, that's not something that we think about enough. I don't think, um, and it certainly has something that we do enough in, in that I'm quick to point that out in other people. I'm very slow to point it out yeah. and do something about it myself, yeah. but you know, often I find myself spending time with, with younger guys or uh, in our church or, or just other guys in the church and they might be struggling with something and just can't, just can't, can't do it, you know, um, I'm praying about it. I'm, I'm thinking a lot about it. I'm reading about it. I'm talking yeah, to people about exactly. it. I'm like, well, 
can you just do it? Just like you're not gonna do it perfectly, but can you tr just try? You know, like give it right. a go. Give, right. give it a good old fashioned um, 100, 110% effort try and see how that works out for you. Yeah. And when you fail or if you fail, repent and guess what? Try again and tell me about it and let me pray with you. But try. Like that's the the main yeah. your Nike slogan. Just do it. You know, right. my mom used to tell me that when I was a kid all the time. Tim, just do it. If you stop thinking about it and stop complaining about it and just did it, it'd be done already. You know, it'd be fine. <laughs> So uh, it's, mother, it's a, it's a particular are, struggle of mine. Our long-suffering sure. mothers. Yeah. So yeah. the We're good news about the try, uh, you know, this is also Yoda, uh, but the good news about the try is that Isaac's already been laid down. So yeah. you know, when I say, you know, my Isaac is like my cross, it's small and suited to my frame and capacity, and it's... Mm. It's covered with the blood of someone else who bore it first. So when I take up my cross, I'm taking it up with the strength that God provides and with his infinite patience for me as an elect son of the sovereign Lord uh, yeah. who is secure in the Father's arms and whose performance is not the basis of his pleasure. So... When I lay my Isaac down, it's it's like I'm playing with toys in the sandbox. Mm. Well, the grown-ups are over there, you know, with jackhammers and, you know, uh, live ammo. So it isn't like God hasn't made it, I mean, I won't say easy, because it's hard for a child to do things. But he understands this, and he calls us in a childlike way to... to to serve and honor him. And then, then there are giants, you know, and Abraham's a giant where yeah. uh, their obedience somehow has is of a generational quality. Yeah. I mean, even, even humans since Abraham, this mighty acts of faith. And I did some reading that didn't make the message, but, but Hudson Taylor's ministry in China um, had some Abrahamic proportions to it. Yeah. And, um, you know, so that's part of the point. And, and I wanted to talk about Hudson Taylor because part of the point of the Patriarch series is how, how we learn from our fathers and our mothers in faith and how they, how they passed on faith to us and how can we become patriarchs in this great mm -hmm. sense of passing on the faith to our sons and daughters and, and to our neighbors and, to, to ascend to higher highs, heights than, than we're accustomed to because we know we have a calling that goes beyond our own families, beyond our own lifetimes, you know. So that, that's why I think it's worth really uh, meditating in, in Genesis 22 is it, is it really does challenge us to, to grow up a little bit, to, to be fathers yeah. and mothers in the faith. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Um, you mentioned a missionary. I'm going to mention another one, John Patton. And, and I actually used him as an example in one of my sermons maybe two years ago now. Um, and, if, and if you're a listener and you've not heard of John G. Patton, I, I would really commend you to go look. He has a great autobiography. It's pretty long, but... Um, just look him up and, and read a little bit about him. He's a little bit of a lesser-known missionary. But one of the things I love about his story, um, and he brings this up in his own autobiography, is that he recalls fondly late in his life, after he's gone through many, many trials and struggles in his missionary efforts, has lost a wife, has lost a child, um, has been attacked, and so on and so forth. He recalls his father growing up had a prayer closet in their house. They had like eight kids, small house. His dad was a blue-collar worker. And his father would retire after breakfast, lunch, and dinner, immediately following to his prayer closet, literally a little room in the house. It was a closet that he converted, put a little... Um, um, stool or, or, or whatever in there. And um, 
he he would go in there three times a day, and he would stay in there for half an hour each time and pray. And John Patton um, says something to the effect of, I know that my dad was praying through tears for me and my siblings every single day. Like, he, he witnessed it. He didn't hear the prayers. He didn't see the prayers. His dad was in this closet. But he knew that's what his dad was doing. And when he left home to go to seminary, he had to walk, it was like eight miles from the house to the train station. And his dad walked with him. And the first four miles, they talked. And the latter four miles, they walked in silence. But his dad's mouth didn't stop moving because he just prayed for four miles. I can't even say it without like starting to tear up. Um, wow. And I, th- I think about that kind of thing often because I'm, I'm not going to be John Patton. You know, that's just not what God has called me to do in my life. I, at least at this point, that I'm open to that <laughs> potentially in the future. Um, but I, I don't aspire to necessarily be John Patton. But I do aspire, at the very least, to be his dad, who is faithfully praying for his kids, who's reading and teaching the Bible in his home, who's um, ministering as a Christian in his circles mm-hmm. that God has given him influence and an impact on, um, and leadership and responsibility over. So, like, just very practically speaking, we aren't all going to be Hudson Taylor. None of us are Abraham, but that doesn't mean that, again, we get to just coast and say, well, you know, we're not called to do something grandiose, um, and so, you know, we'll have fledgling fledgling lives for Christ, you know, this is, this is, this is the beauty of God doesn't need us, but he, he welcomes us in anyway, and he's going to use us, and if all we do is complain about it or go, ah, yeah, I screwed up again. Well, you know, some things will never change. That's not the gospel. Um, it's the anti-gospel yeah. in a lot of ways. So. Yeah, I'm just, I looked up Hebrews 11. <clears throat> Worth reading. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He, Abraham, considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, and the word there is, in Greek, it's parable, from which, in a parable, uh, Abraham did receive him back. So um, Isaac is a living parable. So a parable is something that allows us to understand God's truth through kind of a concrete example. And um, um, I think that's what we're looking for is to do our own, to look for the living parables that God gives us yeah. Um, in, in the strength of Christ, clearly. And I think it's Romans 4. Let me pull that one up real quick. I think it's Romans 4 that, that uses the language that I was looking for. Um, Abraham, the father of us all, As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. Da, 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 da. He did not weaken in his faith when he considered his own body. No unbelief made him waver, verse 20 of Romans 4, concerning the promise of God, but grew strong in faith. So that's where I think I'm getting that he needed more faith. Um, Fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. And then it says, uh, but the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours as well. So 
Um, so yeah, um, we we need more faith. We need deeper wells, and the the work is harder than we thought. We're not uh, as equipped as we believed, and and the temptations are more dangerous than we were prepared for. So let's um, let's get to our patriarchal and matriarchal preparations. That's Amen. my thinking. Amen. Well, God's able to do it. Right. So. Yeah, it's in hope. You know, all these works are in hope. It's right. hope and a promise-keeping, um, promise-making and promise-keeping God. Um, my third point was the reward is more grace. So it's it's like... We begin by faith, knowing that he's made full preparations. So this is your Romans 8.32. How will he not then much more? Amen. So we could spend a week talking about this. Yes. We only scratch the surface, which is usual. But I'm glad that we at least had another whack at it. Um today so thanks for taking some time out of your busy schedule to uh have this podcast this week well you too you've you've literally given up your vacation so uh you've set a high bar buddy i'm just i'm still i'm still vacationing even during the podcast okay Uh, (laughs) and we'll leave that as a wink between me and you uh on that but yeah i mean it's a joy it's a joy to think about these things um and important. So, um, and yes, I, I get a break from my three little kids for okay. an hour when I now, do it. But, let me see. Um, n- never, nevertheless, um, you know, it's, as I've often said on these podcasts, I encourage our listeners and it's an encourage. I'm, I'm giving this charge to myself to think through what we're hearing on Sunday morning, outside of Sunday morning and to apply mm-hmm. it to our lives throughout the week and beyond um, that God would use us, that we mm-hmm. would resolve to be men and women of faith, to be patriarchs and matriarchs um, like we talked about today. So Here thanks for the conversation, Phil. Thank you. And thanks for all of you uh, for listening in. Uh, I'm not sure when I'm going to get, when this will be posted, but as soon as I'm able, um, to get it posted, and, and thanks for joining us again this week. I, I'm really looking forward to continuing um, the series and the patriarchs. We do have a guest preacher next Sunday at um, Mercy Hill, so we'll see how that impacts our um, deeper cut podcast schedule. But we'll be back with you again soon to continue the series, and we have a lot more left to go. I know, you know, we only skinned the surface on Abraham, and we'll be doing the same for the other patriarchs, but. Um, yeah, the siblings have a lot. Uh, not siblings. The, uh, the the sons. The sons have a lot to be discussed about too. Yeah. So. <laughs> we'll have a lot more coming coming your way. A lot more content, as they say. Mm-hmm. So, um, that's all we have for you today, though. In the deeper cut. Again, thanks for joining us, and uh, and we do hope that you'll join us again next week. Be blessed. <laughs>